Conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. Podcast studio in the heart of downtown New York City, my hometown, the greatest city on this planet, Tribeca, on a snowy pre-winter, pre-Thanksgiving evening, tough sledding here in New York City. This is our Thanksgiving show. Got a lot to be thankful for. Uh, Too many things to mention right now, but one of the things I'm very thankful for is having my friend back on the show. He needs no introduction. He's a uh, all-time great at St. Francis College, uh, one of the great the two great two-way players that I've had and a dear friend we've kept in very close touch ever since he graduated. He's got two beautiful kids. He's got a wife, which we all know what that is. And uh, we got him here in the studio tonight, Anthony Esposito. Espo, how are you, pal? Tommy, thanks for having me back. Good to see you. It's been a while. All right. Have you whacked anybody recently? Not recently. No, not recently. All right. All right. That's why you never write nothing down, right? In the (laughs) words of Paulie Gutierrez, never write anything down. I'm amped up today. Happy Thanksgiving. Same to you, bud. All right. Um, And for all of you out there, if your Uncle Carmine is falling asleep right now, uh, remember, food is not an anesthetic, all right? It's actually supposed to give you energy, not cause you to sleep. So (laughs) he's probably eaten too much. Uh, we got a great show. We're going to do something that uh, a lot of people have asked me to do. We've done one before. I did it solo. I wanted Espo to come in and have somebody to kind of go back and forth with. Uh, we're going to answer some emails. Uh, we get a lot of people who say to me, uh, hey, can you please talk about this or talk about that? And for those of you who um, haven't surmised by now, I have a lot to say. So, um, Espo, it's been a, uh, an interesting year. Um, as we uh, embark upon the hot stove season, if you will. Uh, A lot of speculation as to what the respective teams in New York will do. Of course, you're a rabid Met fan. We know that. What's your Twitter handle? At Espo4710. You got to follow at Espo4710. Really great stuff. And the guys who follow you, whoever whoever engages you, uh, you have some really good conversations. Because those guys, even though some of them are lunatics, uh, and probably need some psychological help really, really soon. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, they, they, a lot of them are measured and smart and knowledgeable and have followed the teams that they, they are passionate about. And um, it's like a step up from sports talk radio where everybody's just crazy. I, I like to pick and choose who I can you know talk, uh, speak with because you, you sort of get the sense of like-minded people. You can have right. like an, a real mm-hmm. discussion with as opposed to trying to settle down the fanatic fan. Right. You know, so. right. It's interesting you say that because what I found now in the discourse, and we, and we could talk about... Um, in society in general and get into all these discussions which are really tedious but in sports I've never seen the discourse be more binary meaning you're either it's as if you can't have a preference anymore you either have to be all on one side of it or all on the other side of it. And it's like, you know, if you don't think Jacob deGrom should have won the Cy Young, then you hate Jacob deGrom. Well, no. If I go to a restaurant and I order chicken, it's not because I hate steak. It's just that 
on that night, I prefer something different, one as opposed to the other. And it's really hard on Twitter because everybody's yelling and screaming. Uh, and it seems like in the sports world, especially, I've never seen so many people uh, want to disqualify you if you just have a difference of opinion. It's the, uh, the mastery of the hot take, right? If right. You go against the masses, you know. You're the outcast. Right. You hipped me to the hot take. What now? Tell people what I'm, they, everybody else knows. I'm the only guy in the world doesn't know. What is a hot take? That's, you know, you, you essentially have a, a contrarian opinion from the masses. You know, right. so if everybody wants, uh, you know, the Yankees to go out and sign Manny Machado and you say, no, that's a bad idea. You know, you're an, you're an outcast. You're on the outside looking in now. Now, it's interesting you say that. You work for a living. I work for a living. Everybody out there works for a living. I always believe, I don't care what the business is that you're in, the most valuable guy in that business, in that room when decisions are being made, is the guy who's not afraid to lose his job. Because that's the guy who says, uh, Captain, there's an iceberg ahead. You need to turn left. Right. If everybody falls in line with the captain and the ship continues full speed ahead, you're going to hit the iceberg. And I believe the most valuable guys, and it seems like there are fewer and fewer of them, are those guys who will say, hey, Jeff and Fred, come on, let's let's go. I mean, we, we, we got to get this ship right. So I, you know, I don't know if you know, but I was I was a, a finalist for the uh, for the GM position. I did see that. So you know, I, saw I saw that on Twitter. Many, many, you know, I, I sent them my availability on many different occasions. Even the ticket rep, when she reached out, wanted me to buy tickets. I tried to pitch her as well. Um, <laughs> so good. I, I think That's I'm going to so fire. I think I'm going to fire my secretary because apparently uh, they never got the message or the memo and they just went ahead and hired this this Brody guy. And it's uh -huh. a, little, uh -huh. a little disappointing. For what me. do you think of the move? So we're going to start this off with a hot take. You ready? I'm ready. I think Omar Minaya is actually the general manager of the Mets. Really? I really do. I think that it's, there's no secret. that Conspiracy the, theory. Yeah, it's a little bit. So, the, I mean, there's no secret that Fred Wilpon has an affinity for Omar Minaya. Right. And, and, you know, I liked him as a baseball guy. And I think for this go around, I just don't think he wants to deal with, you know, everything that comes with being a general manager and having to run the front office. So you bring in a guy like Brody, good looking, you know, he uses... All Wife the, is on the board of directors of Stanford Athletics. He uses all the uh, all the all the right buzzwords. He looks right, great. That you want to hear, right? He he's does a good look, face. Yeah, he looks great. But I, I really think in the background, you know, a guy like Omar, he's, he's well-respected in baseball. He's very, very good on the player personnel side. He's, he sort of bridges that... Uh, the, the South American countries as well, right, too. Right, right, right. So uh, that's my... That's New my, York City guy. New, New York, York City, City guy. Lo local guy, yep, right? Yep, good guy. Omar Manaya, very good yeah, guy. So Absolutely. That's my uh, that's my hot take. I really think, I think Manaya is really going to be the one running the ship with Brody as the figurehead. That's, I think that's you my... touched on something really important, too. I think that look has become more important than it ever was. I don't think the Frank Cashins and the Bill Tories and the, kind of the, the George Youngs of, of the world could ever be what they were 20, 30, and 40 uh, years ago. I really don't believe that can happen it, anymore. It started a few years ago. It's funny if you want to talk about how um, when the Knicks were all in on LeBron, they were saying that one of the uh, one of the issues they had was that Donnie Walsh wasn't a guy that you wanted to really because he was you know he's he didn't look the part he didn't look the part right right, right. he so looked they, like kind of a riverboat gambler kind of guy like so every guy that we knew in you know in Brooklyn that was at OTB or at the racetrack right every day. right yeah. and, and that's that's interesting you bring that up because that sort of started a few years ago you know. It did. I mean, I, and I believe, I, and I said this when it was done. I said, you know, I think Aaron Boone. One of the things about Aaron Boone is he looks great. Oh yeah, he really does. He looks great. I mean, he 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 looks like. The prototypical corporate kind of guy that a lot of organizations are looking for now. The guys, the Stump Merrills and the Earl Weavers and the funny looking kind of guys, um, I, I, I think are uh, right now, and everything goes in cycles and nothing is forever, uh, right now are not fashionable. You know, no. these, these, you're looking for guys who are, um, funny thing is though. 
The guy, the guy who's getting fitted for a World Series ring isn't doesn't look corporate. No, so he doesn't. Uh, maybe there's a, yeah, a, a, a lesson to be learned. The other there. thing is too, I think buzzwords like oh yeah, absolutely the, you know, the vernacular, collaborate, collaboration, yes. teamwork, right? Yes. Yes. People who you know use that vernacular. It's no really, question. You know, no question. Relationship to, building. Yeah. It's very zen almost. It's very touchy feely. It's very and 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 I'm not saying that in any way to denigrate that, except that to. It is noteworthy that that has become now so prevalent. It's not the issue. It's it's not the notion of it, but it is the degree to which so many people have bought in hook, line, and sinker. And if sports is one thing, baseball especially, it's huge groupthink. Oh yeah. Like once one guy gets a hold of it, you know, once one team does it one way, every other team looks to do it that way. And I and I still say, and I think the reason why the Red Sox were so good is. Uh, I, I was really impressed by Cora when he said, hey, listen, you know, nowadays guys think that if you hit 218, hit 30 home runs and drive in 90 runs, that's a great year. It's outstanding. We don't. Absolutely. Outstanding. That is really, really cool because you know, that's the hot take. We don't we don't get an opportunity to really listen to him because he's from Boston, right? We don't, I guess when he's in town, we can hear some of his thoughts and whatnot, but to hear that was really refreshing and I had a lot of respect for him saying that. I agree. I agree. I think, uh, I thought the biggest difference perhaps in the World Series, aside from the fact that, look, the Red Sox were preordained, they really, they just had a tremendous season. They could have won. They, they took their foot off the gas in 108 games. I mean, they could have won 115 games. Um, and I really believe that they were a far better team than any of the National League teams. B- but the most glaring difference was the acumen, the execution, and just the countenance of the manager in the Red Sox dugout as opposed to the manager in the Dodger dugout. You know, when you, when you watch those games too, no matter whether they were down or they were up, that ga- those games always seemed to have just a level of control. Like yes. everything was in control. Yep. It doesn't matter if they were down a couple of runs or if they were, it just, the game had a sort of leveling out, right? You just got that feel watching it, right? Yeah, and, and, and for those people who think that the only thing that matters, the Brian Kennys of the world, are the things that you can measure, um, you just haven't been in enough dugouts, I guess. Uh, and if you were in a dugout in Little League, you realized a very valuable lesson that the, the, you know, the tenor of that dugout and that clubhouse and those plane rides and, and those meals and the, and the time you share with each other, uh, it does affect, like any other workplace, your workplace environment will have some you know, impact on your output. It's an enormously underrated It's it's underrated in baseball, but it's not underrated in the workplace. It's actually just the opposite. You know, companies like Google and Bloomberg and all these other places are trying their best to create workplaces that are conducive to production. They're doing everything they possibly can because they appreciate it's not about only the things you can measure, who the guy is who had the best SAT score is, who the doctor is who got the best grades on his on his boards. It's about creating an environment where people can flourish. How do we do that? Because that means a lot, as you right. know. Right, absolutely. All right, good. All good stuff. I knew Anthony would be good here. Did you bring lasagna? I did. It's in a car, though. Yeah, all right. Sorry. All right. Oh, good. Sorry. I got a nice Chianti for you. Let me just tell you, just tell you, there's a couple of things about Italians, right? So, so when you celebrate like a holiday... <laughs> A holiday like Thanksgiving, you have to Italian it up, right? Oh, yeah. So you got to have basically, it's like almost three meals that you have if you're Italian. And it's it's just amazing. And the other thing, whenever you have family over, especially around Thanksgiving and the holidays, what I love about Thanksgiving is the discourse. There's always some implicit threat about everything everybody says to one another. Like, oh. you know, your, your, your grandmother will say, 
you better get like you better get over here. Like, what happens if I don't get over there? Yeah. Right? Am I right? <laughs> right? You better eat. Let me tell you something, Anthony. You better eat this. Oh. <laughs> right? There's a lot of threatening that goes on around the holidays, yeah, and, and you know, and, and also the first person who who just starts, you know, talking politics is the one that loses. Absolutely, as well. you know, forget it. Absolutely, you know, there's, there's always a political discussion at the Absolutely. table. Absolutely. The funny I, thing is about Thanksgiving is I grew up in uh, my mom is half Irish, but we grew up in a you know an Italian household, right, right. and we celebrated Thanksgiving like the traditional way with you know, turkey stuff in Morocco, you know. And I married my wife, who's, you know, Sicilian by name, you know, who's Sicilian, and... Do you sleep with one eye open? I I have to. Yeah, you have to, obviously. Uh, but their, but their, their Thanksgiving is like you said. It, it is the three course. It's the, it is. It's the pasta. Right. It's the artichokes. It's the you know before you even think about the turkey. Right. You know. Right. You bring in, as we say, a medigan, right, to one of these affairs that we have basically, right. and they're like in ten minutes they're filled. They right. they eat and they can't con- they can't conceive of more food actually coming out of the kitchen and the food just this like. This onslaught of food, one course after the next, after the next, and you better eat. It's a three-hour buffet. Absolutely. It's a three-hour buffet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great stuff. (laughs) Great stuff. Okay. So, we got these emails. Got a lot of people. Want to hear a lot of things. So, uh, and here's my first email. You ready? Yeah. This is from Biff in Millerville. (laughs) Biff in Millerville. I got to see what Biff has to say here. Right. Biff. Biff. I wonder if he's related to Willie. Death of a Salesman ref- reference. You don't get that very often <laughs> in, in podcast land. <laughs> I'm hot. I'll tell you right now, I'm, I'm amped up tonight. I'm amped up tonight. Great show. How do you approach player development as a coach, baseball coach? Okay. How do I approach player development? My goodness. Wow. That's a hard question to answer. Uh, you know, it, it, it is. It's. How do you approach it? Uh, well, I, I could give you my the first thoughts that I um, that I have is player development is like anything else. It's it's got to be personal, right? Yeah. What's what's good for Anthony Esposito is not good necessarily for Tom Weber. Um, what's good for Jason Kanzler might not be right for Neil Barbella. So I think the first thing you got to do with player development is realize that you have to be you have to understand you might be dealing with 25, 40, or if you're you know a minor league player director, you know a director of player development in the major leagues, you're dealing with 200 guys. So um, I think you really have to go at it as uh, you have to have a, a basic theme and, and, and goals that you have, what kind of organization you've decided you're going to be. And I think you have to create for yourself a way, you know, the best teams have a certain way. Setting like expectations, right? right? Absolutely. And I think uh, you got to make it player centric and, and make sure your players know that they're, they're um, that they are vested in their future yeah. and in their success. Uh, I, I, I think it's got to be less, um, if you will, you know, old school coaching sometimes is a bit uh, adversarial, right? It presumes the player doesn't try enough when in fact all my experience actually uh, disproves that. I think the better players just want an environment where they can work as much as they possibly can and become as good as they can possibly be. I think you have a greater responsibility that uh, you're not giving yourself enough credit for. I think it goes beyond the instruction that you're going to give to the individuals small moments can have a profound effect on people and, you know, from a personal standpoint as well, right? Because you're not only just instructing a sport, you're also trying to shape people, right? Absolutely. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really, think, I don't think you could successfully, I don't think you could be successful at one without being successful, successful at, at both. Other. Right. Right. I agree with you. That's really cool. That's, that's a cool observation. Yeah. All right. So my, my philosophy on player development is that, um, 
you know, it's it, it would have to be like a treatise, really. Um, but I do believe it needs to be player-centric first. Uh, a couple of things. The other thing I would do with player development is I would have my coaches refrain from using themselves as a reference point. I think that's a turnoff for players. They don't want to hear what you did uh, unless in some way it can help them get where they want to go. And in general, I would say that you need to be a player advocate who stands in the way of what stands in the way of where your players want to go. And if you keep that in mind... Uh, I think you could be very, very successful. So you need to be fluid and open minded. Absolutely, well, you know? absolutely. In everything nowadays, you need to know. Your, you need to know. <laughs> you need to know your audience. Right? <laughs> All right. So um, I hope that uh, satisfactorily answers Biff's question. What do you got, Espo? You got one. So this is uh, this is from Enzo in Staten Island. Oh God, figures. Uh, okay. Which Enzo though? Staten Island. You know how many Enzos there are? If you look in the phone book at Staten Island, there's like it says it's like Smith. Yeah. In the regular world. Okay. It says Enzo in Staten Island. Right. No, no last name. But uh, this looks like a pretty interesting question, actually. So, is Kevin Cash' way of managing paving the way for a new norm in baseball, or is it just an unsustainable gimmick? Wow. Wow. Well, I don't think it's a gimmick. Um, I, I think that's, uh, I, I don't think it's a gimmick. I understand the use of that word because there is a lot of gimmickry now in yeah. base, to, to some degree. I could see, I could see how the, the, the pervasive use of certain things in baseball can render you, um, using that word to describe it. And that doesn't mean that it is a gimmick, but I, I guess there is some gimmickry to some of the silliness that goes on in baseball. You know, when when Dave Roberts is pinch hitting in the second inning, and that's that's a little much for me. But I, what I, you know, look, I I, under, I understand pinch hitting, but baseball's a game that could go twenty innings. I don't know how you would. Why would you spend a player that early when so much can happen over the next eight innings? But anyway, that's that that to me feels like a forced move, which that, might be construed as gimmickry like. Joe Madden trying to lose the World Series by force feeding John Lester into that game when there was no need to bring John Lester in at that point in time. So, I, I, so there's two there's two ways that I would answer this, right? So I, I think I think it's so I think it's brilliant. Number one, no, he's using he's using the resources he has. So you know, with the proliferation of one inning pitches nowadays, and uh, you know, guys getting hurt all the time, going out and trying to throw a ball through the wall, why not just throw nine guys out there or throw seven guys and let them throw one inning at a time. And the other thing I was thinking about too, also from a hitting perspective, right? So when I played, one of the things that I always did is I took my early at-bats to try and... You always, you always had veal parmesan between games of a doubleheader. Absolutely. Yeah, it was nice. It was more like more like roast beef or roasted peppers. <laughs> that's right. Fresh mozzarella on the hero. Nice. That's nice. that's the way. A little bit of gravy. breakfast to champions. A little gravy to get into on the side too, right? <laughs> but, you know, on a serious note, like if you wanted to... Like I would use my early at bats to try and gauge, you know, what the pitcher is good at for the day. Like, is he smiling right. his right. fastball? Of course, of course. By by consistently switching these guys out, you 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 keeping first look. on their edge. First oh, yeah, look. the first look. You right. know what I mean? Right, so, right. Um, is it sustainable? I mean, it, it's a copycat league, of sports, right? I mean, who's the next team that that, that could do something like that? Uh, well, there's no question that the the role of the starting pitcher to to a certain degree. On many ball clubs has been reduced, significantly devalued. It's been significantly devalued. That's why, um, you know, starters and the Cy Young controversy about who should win and who shouldn't. Um, you know, it's starting to become. That's. I, I think. I think there was a big statement made by giving uh, Jacob Degrom the the National League Cy Young Award winner. I think it really has shown that uh, a lot of people involved in baseball, writers and 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 people involved in the game on the field, uh, have devalued. 
the statistic, which is really the only statistic that matters the last time I checked. Which is wins. Which is winning, yes. And um, uh, this this argument that sort of, um, uh, you know, this preordained circumstances that would happen, like if Jacob DeGrom went to Boston and he would win 42 games. Yeah. But he's not, and yeah, and, I, and, I, and I, those those arguments are specious, and and there there's no proving those arguments. I mean, you know, Steve Carlton won 27 games on a team, I believe, that won 59. So, um, you know, wins are still. I, I I just don't know if you told me that you have a guy who's got 25 wins. You know, so your team won 25 times that he took the mound. Mm-hmm. How that guy is not valuable, irrespective of what his statistics are. Maybe he's pitching to the score. I was just going to say, you can make an argument for both sides of that, right? Maybe he's right. pitching to the scoreboard for the day. Maybe right. he's got five or six runs in his pocket. Right. And he's just out there having a catch. Right, you know? right. And, 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 but anyway, um, so I think Kevin Cash is, I think Kevin Cash is ahead of the curve. And he may have caught lightning in a bottle. This might be the year where that works. Uh, you just never know what's going to happen next year. If it blows up in his face, no one will do it. No. You know that. Uh, this year, it's certainly he had success with it. But I think he had success. I think necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. He had very little resources to work with. And he took those resources and really you know, squeezed it. That He rang that sponge dry. He got every single inning out of every single pitcher he possibly could in any way he could. And the interesting thing about it, too, is that the uh, that whole... That team actually sent out the AL Cy Young winner in Blake. That's right. Hill. That's right. So you know, with twenty-one wins. So with, yeah, I mean, he had a, he he had a tremendous year. I mean, uh, he's still still debatable whether or not he should win the Cy Young. But uh, twenty-one and five. Yeah, on a, on a, on a mediocre team, mediocre ball club. Right. So so look, it's not like Kevin Cash is averse to having a guy stay in the game long enough, right. to win if that guy can win. If you can't, well, let's see if I could. I don't know, put Joe in for an inning and you in for two and somebody else in for three. You got to play nine innings. However you do that, you know, and it's not new. It's not new. I I have to say this because there are plenty of times I can recall with teams I either coached or managed where when you run out of pitchers, Mm -hmm. well, it's everybody's pitching today. Well, it has been done before. I remember we did. We actually did it once because I, I think everybody on our staff was struggling at one point. I think we we actually pitched the conference game with one guy. Every we had nine guys throw one inning. There you go. It was the nine inning Sunday game. There you go. Uh, you know, so. I mean, if you have to, you have to. You don't yeah. have a choice. So uh, sometimes the you know uh, the best things that happen to you are things that happen to you out of desperation, and that seems to be uh, what Kevin Cash did. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, you got another one. I'm going to let you go again. Give me your uh, second one. Let's see. All right. So this one is from. Ronnie from Syosset. <laughs> so Ronnie, 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 Ronnie from Syosset writes, uh, the 2018 World Series was the third lowest rated ever. Oh boy. Why do you think it is? And what can the Major League Baseball, what can Major League Baseball do in 2019 to rebound? Ronnie, uh, Ronnie from Syosset is worried about ratings. Wow. Ronnie. All right. right. <laughs> Maybe he's a Nielsen family. Maybe they, he's one of those he might people have one with of the those box. little boxes in his house, right? Uh, right uh, from side. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So, so I'll tell you why the Esposito house didn't get didn't get on that rating. It's because uh, at a quarter to eleven at night, it was the fourth. Because you're stealing your cable. That's why. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, st- I think I still have it. It doesn't work yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. I tried. Oh I tried. God, absolutely. I tried. Right, but, okay. uh, <laughs> yeah, I was asleep by, you know, by the fourth inning. You know. Well, look, <laughs> this this is nothing new. Um, it's not like this is some kind of uh, revelation. These games 
They take a long time. Mm-hmm. I know people, please don't at me or, or criticize me. The games do take a very long time. I don't care how much you love baseball. Nobody wants a seven-hour game. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean I, I'm, I'm a huge baseball player. Abner Doubleday wouldn't sit through a seven-hour no, game. Come no, on. No, I mean, yeah. after a while, you have to give people some credit. No. It's not attention span anymore. This is a long time these games are taking. And the pace, too. The, the pace. Right, exactly. And, the, and there's not a, it's not, they're not taking long because, you know, it's the Mets and the Astros in 86, or it's the, you know, Reds and the uh, Boston Red Sox in 75, game six, the Carlton Fisk game. Those are games that took long because they were constantly going back and forth and who was scoring and who was making a great play and who was doing great. You know, there were, there's a lot of action. These games are not filled with action. They just take a long time. I mean, time between innings is absurd. It's just, you know, Replay is an abomination. It really is. Replay in all of its forms in baseball is just awful. It's a unmitigated disaster which contributes to the pace of the play and, it, you know, it, it, it's a buzzkill if there ever was one. I, Second inning pinch hitting moves. Right, exactly. Everybody's striking out. Right, right, you know right. I mean? And what is baseball's answer? You don't have to throw four pitches the one time every three games when you intentionally walk a guy, as if that's going to really save time. Right. I mean, come on. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll say this. Um, what can baseball do? I think baseball could do what good businesses do. Uh, I think people that I think people that rationalize why baseball takes so long and has to have has to do this, say, well, you know, it's money. Well, the reality is all good businesses that want to last a long time leave some money on the table now for a lot more money in the future and try to grow their business. That money is not getting that money is investing in your business. So perhaps I don't know. Uh, but I do know that this is kind of a viable suggestion. You might want to start the games a little earlier. You might want to throw a game, make it a school game where 3.30 you're going to play a World Series game. Give a game to 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12-year-olds who love baseball but who can't watch it. Right. They literally can't watch it. Um, and, and, and I don't know. You know, I've been in the game a long time and so have you, and I've heard every discussion, and I think this is a very salient point. I've heard guys make too much money and they don't run hard enough, and I've heard all this glory day stuff, but here's something that is new and that is very noteworthy. I have never heard the discussion be so prevalent vis-a-vis the game's unwatchability. Never. You never heard that in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. The two. Now people talk all the time about it's unwatchable. Right. It's unwatchable. It's unwatchable. And you know what? When people come to your restaurant and they say the chocolate cake stinks, if enough people say that, you need to change the chocolate cake. Right. You can't tell people you should like the crappy chocolate cake. That's what baseball seems to be doing. Well, we know a lot of people, but you still should want to watch it anyway, or you should still stay up, or the ratings really don't tell you the full story, or the numbers behind the numbers, or whatever. Well, come on, after a while, you know, you could turn a a blind eye and a deaf ear all you like. At some point, the chickens are going to come home to roost, and and, and I don't know, at some point you'll reach that point where there's no turning back, where you haven't grown enough people such that they can support your game. It's surprising to me, too, because in two good ball clubs, 
Oh my God! Absolutely. I, I mean, we, I, this we, is the we, first we, World we, Series. Enormous fan bases. Still. I watched these playoffs more than more than I've watched playoffs in a while because I really thought there were a number of teams that were interesting to watch. I wanted to watch the Brewers. I find mm-hmm. them kind of exciting. Yep. I, I, I like the, the the kid uh, Yelich uh, and that whole look of them. I thought their manager did a terrible job too. But anyway, that's a different story. Um, and I, I obviously the Astros and and, and the. Uh, uh, Boston Red Sox just play a style of baseball that is really fun to watch. Right. There's, there's action, you know. They're, exactly. they're, they're engaged and, and and what have you. So we are uh, we're going to take a break, uh, and we are going to return with more fun and more emails and um, more cool stuff. As my man Rod Stewart takes us out. Listening to the conversation with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. This episode of the conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends, Hunter and Braden Bishop, as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. From the Gotham Podcast Studio here in the heart of downtown New York City. Got my man Espo. Espo, you're going to be like a regular, man. This is a great gig. It's a cool hang. That's you're fun. The best. It's you're the best. It's a good time, man. It really yeah. is. Um, back to the emails. Uh, hopefully, we're giving you some some cool information. Uh, I got one. Uh, let's see. Okay, we got Rob from where is he from? Somewhere in Connecticut. And who cares? It's a small state. <laughs> uh, what does he got here? Uh, at what age should your kid get serious about playing? Uh, oh God, oh, Rob, Rob, Rob. Uh, get serious about what? Baseball, serious, you know, serious. Got to get serious. Three. I mean, listen. When you I, when he'll take in the, the embryo, ball in, his hand, in the embryo. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's you know. look. Here's what I think. Here's what I think. Um, I see this a lot. I have a lot to say about this. I think there's a certain pathology now uh, with respect to uh, youth baseball and youth sports in general. Um, it's not some great revelation, but uh, I can't unsee what I see. And uh, I was working with one of my uh, pro guys indoors about a week ago, and I looked to my left, and this sports. guy bring 
Sport, sports fest in Staten Island? Uh, I don't know what it is. You know, it's like one of these, you know, they all have the same name. Foul ball, line drive, catcher's balk, you know, infield fly, <laughs> forfeit academy. I mean, you know, it's, it, you know, drop the fly ball, yeah. laboratory, whatever. Um, and, and it's all the same thing. It's a nice enough facility. Listen, it's cold. You got to be indoors. You got to do what you have to do. Um, so we're working on some stuff and, you know, doing some of the inane things that we do during the winter. And I look to my left and there's a kid. Uh, this guy's got to be about in his late 20s. He's an instructor. I'm making my air quotes as I say that because now every guy who has ever seen a game is an instructor. Um, and he's throwing to this kid and he's giving him these instructions. You got to be on time and all this stuff and using all the buzzwords that everybody uses um, that I'm not sure many people really even know what it means, but it really sounds good. You know, it's like, you know, I study piano and I, I when I go see my teacher, you know, I make sure I don't use any of the buzzwords nah. because I don't want to sound like one of those people who, my teacher was Miles Davis's music director for five years. He's a badass. I have to put my fingers in my ears when I hear those people. Exactly. Yeah. It makes my skin crawl, right? Like the, it's the idea people who just don't know how to execute exactly, them. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Anybody can use the buzzwords. And sure enough, this guy's throwing baseballs to a three-year-old kid. Three. He's three. Throwing. Now, what I loved is the three-year-old was great because he was a three-year-old. I don't know if you realize this, but three-year-olds have basically acted the same since the caveman pushed the rock out, came out, and they started having three-year-olds a couple of hundred thousand years ago. There's no such thing as a well-behaved three-year-old, okay? Eventually, they become a disaster, and this kid was great. He was rolling down. He was falling out, rolling over. So, and I couldn't get enough of him driving the coach crazy because the more he misbehaved, the more the coach and his father yelled at him that he has to be committed. Oh, I feel bad for that kid. So I thought, to my, <laughs> I thought to myself, you know, it's interesting that you're using the word committed because I agree. Somebody should be committed. It's you. Right. To a mental institution, all right? And your kid should be taken and given to a family who was more adequately equipped to raise him Maybe like a pack of wolves. We'll allow him to be a three-year-old. Right. You know, so I, my, my girls, ironically enough, are, four, are three and four. So, I mean, there's times where you have to understand they have a very short attention span. Right. It's ta- you know, and as a parent, it's taken me some time to learn that. But of I, course. I understand of that. Course. So if we're playing catch or you know, whatever, kicking a soccer ball or you know, whatever the case may be, there's a very, you only have their attention for a few minutes. Right. Once, once the antennas go up, and right. so it's time to just, you pack it in at that point. Right. You, don't, you don't continue to force it on the child. You don't, you don't do that. And he's, dude, he's three. I, what could he possibly retain other than what? Like, what, seriously, so, so he, be on time, uh, be on time, meaning on time with your swing. You know, you know, don't uppercut, don't do it. Like, don't. The kid can hardly swing the bat. So here's what you teach a three-year-old. You teach him the basic fundamentals of baseball. Yeah, like how about hit something as hard as you can. Go hit that thing as hard as you can. The kid will love well, that. Well, you know what? Kids love Kids love to roll around. You want to know what? There's the base. Go, let's, let's learn how to slide today. There you go. Go slide. See? There you go. So, Rob... When should a kid get serious? I'm not sure you should ever get serious about it. But I do know this. Here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. Be very careful about being fooled that your kid is getting serious about anything because kids naturally are pleasers. They will do what they know 
will please you. Right. It may not necessarily be what they you want to do. do, but it certainly will be what you want them to do. So you got to really be careful about, you know, this claim a lot of my friends make, like, my son loves it. Well, he loves it because when he was born, you stapled a glove to his hand and he's had really no choice. So it's really like his religion, okay? You know, instead of, and and it's just not throwing some holy water on him and christening him, but you did baptize the kid into a game and gave him no other choice by lining his room with pictures of baseball players. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I, I, I think that's really the key is to, is to kind of do some soul searching and think who really wants this? Is think, it you or is it really the kid? And kids will let you know. I, I think you should be, here's another one, build confidence. Build confidence in the young one, right? Because self-esteem, baby, self-esteem and confidence. Because if they're good at something, there's a higher probability they're going to stick with it. Oh, no question. So nobody know. likes to suck at anything. No, nobody no. loves anything that they stink at. Which is why we have travel ball now, because it's one gigantic false positive. Everybody could convince themselves that they're good because there are seven million travel ball teams. And if you're not good on that one, well, I just create a new travel ball team and you become good on my team. Right. So that's how I would answer Rob. What do you got, Espo? Uh, let's see. Let's go to, how's about this? We got, we got Fred in Schenectady, New York. How about that? <laughs> so Fred in Schenectady. Must Pat be Riley's a, from Schenectady. Is he really? Yeah, yeah his, father, his father managed, I believe, in the Dodger organization, that team, the Schenectady team. I've played several tournaments up there, too, yeah. in, in, the, in the summertime. I, yeah. I, I never want to go back. Never. never. Absolutely not. No. Nothing. Let me tell you something. You start to get north of, like, 85th Street in Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> no, you start to get north, I'll tell you what, the world changes in a hurry. Oh, in a you are, like, in... Deliverance. We, 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 I think you're confined to like a day's in up there. Yeah. I don't want to go anywhere else. So, uh, so, so Fred's a, he's apparently a Yankee fan. So, who should the Yan- What should the Yankees' top off-season priority be? And should that include Manny Machado or Bryce Harper in that conversation? Hmm. <sighs> so, top priority. So top I- priority would be getting. I think they need a new sushi chef because I sat in the uh, fancy seats and I felt the sushi was uh, <laughs> subpar. I had the maki and I had the the. Uh, How was this? Mi- the miso soup was just a little salty. What about the uh, blooming onion? The, 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 oh, you have to send that back. You have to send, you send that, that back. That's an inside joke. It's the- <laughs> uh, what do I think their top priority is? Look, I think the Yankees are a team that. I don't envy the Yankee position now because I think the Yankees realize that they're further behind the Red Sox than they thought. Um, I never liked the Stanton move because I thought the Stanton move was um, uh, a diminishing return move. You already had a guy like Stanton and now you got another guy. I mean, you got another guy like um, Aaron Judge. Right. Same player. But Aaron Judge is a better player. He's a better outfielder. Much better player. A much better hitter. A much more dependable player. A lot fewer holes. He doesn't go as cold as long as Stanton does. Stanton disappears. And and um, I, I just can't pay a guy $32 million a year or whatever it is that he's getting um, to DH. Because uh, that, to me, is... But anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm not the guy to pat myself on the back. I'll leave that for you. But I, I listen... I'm really good at that. I know you are. So I, I, listen, I listen to our first show on the way in just to sort of rehash. Wow. Research. Research a little bit. And... Uh, we were right about everything. Really? Everything. 
Cincinnati. Not, not, not just in general terms, but like the details of it. And one of them being the. Can you tell my wife that? Because my your wife never says that. Uh, to you, right? We can oh. trade phone calls. I'll, I'll call. I'll call. <laughs> but I mean, we we basically said that the the Yankees were going to win a lot of twelve ten games. They'll be in trouble, and they're starting pitching faltered. So I don't understand what would change between April and now. Why do you need a guy like Machado or a guy like Harper? They should be out there and they should be spending all of their money on pitching at this point. Here's my hot take. I don't think Harper's that good. Neither. I don't think Machado's that good. Machado, would, I wouldn't pay Machado. I wouldn't I, pay I, him at all. Here's, here's my problem with both of these guys. First of all, even if you're just a pure numbers guy, you know, I think Manny Machado, my, my dad, God bless him, uh, would always say horses for courses. You got to, I remember when the Yankees got Steve Kemp, right? He was playing in Tiger Stadium and he hit the ball. Steve Kemp loved to hit the ball to left center field as a left-handed hitter. And he was traded, a free agent, they signed him to the old Yankee Stadium when left center field was 436 feet. Guess what? Steve Kemp was not going to be the same player. He just wasn't. He wasn't playing in a band box anymore. Nope. So when you play in Camden Yards, I got to discount your numbers. Right? I have to because I don't care where you go. There's no place like playing 81 games at Camden Yards. You could throw the ball over the left center field fence. That has to be an extra five or ten home runs. But but even if he models, even if those numbers are, are the same, I don't think he's a shortstop. I don't think he's a great shortstop at all. I think he's going to be a third baseman. Um, and he's telling you he's a problem. He's telling you. You just watched the body language throughout the he playoffs. He said it. I'm not a Johnny Hustle guy. Not only is he saying... He's not a guy who runs hard. He's mocking the notion of a player that does by by deriding that Johnny Hustle guy. No, no. That's that says a lot about a guy. You're going to pay him a boatload of money and have to deal with that. I'm just not sure you need that. There's much more to winning than just just talent. And I don't think people understand that. There needs to be, you know, camaraderie and it needs to be makeup you know, is big yeah, makeup is make, huge huge and i don't want to hear about well you know the players also somebody said he's a great teammate a great teammate come on man you can't be a great teammate if you're coming out and telling me that you're not going to go hard that you're going to be blowing a bubble and trotting when there's a ball hit to the hole uh in, in a world series game at shortstop if where you have a chance to, to every out means something i understand in june look i'm not a guy who thinks you should go as hard as you possibly can every single you can't do that over 162 games i get it but in the World Series, when the when the the end is right in front of you, you only got seven more games. Now you got to go hard every at bat, every at bat. You just never know. Guy might boot the ball. That's a that 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 run could be the run that wins you a game, that, and consequently wins you, wins you a World Series. So so I, I wouldn't go near Manny Machado, and I don't just don't know about Bryce Harper. Like he's 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 still. I think to me, he's still young enough where he's moldable. You know, I, I I think he's still he's trying to fit into the 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 home run the home right, run hitting, right. but I, I think he's got a lot more talent. And if he was to just tone it back a little bit, I think he can be a three hundred hitter. I think he can be. Oh, he could definitely be a three hundred. I think hitter. he could be a guy that you can. But you're speaking to the issue. The issue is, are players are players of that level uh, willing to modify their game? So that they become, um, they maximize their ability and become as productive as possible. They become Mookie Betts, you know. They become that, you know. They become the kid from Milwaukee, uh, Yelich. You, th- those kinds of numbers across the board: high batting average, high on base percentage, drive in runs, score runs. You know, play the field. Is 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 Bryce Harper going to be that guy? And are you willing to risk? 
the crazy number amount of money that, that it's going to take to get him. Well, see, here's the thing, though, too. And I don't know how crazy it's going to be. If you look over the last few years, how the free agent market has played out. I mean, he's going to get paid. There's no doubt about it. But they were throwing out obscene numbers like, you know, 400 million. Like, I, I don't see anybody investing that. Okay. All I, right. I, well, I, then, then you got to, you got to, you know, it's like anything else. Everything's for sale. The first thing I ask, I never say I don't want it. I say how much? How much? Right. Right. Because if you tell me a number that's ridiculously low, in my opinion, I'm going to buy it from right. you. You tell me something that's ridiculously high, I'm not going to buy it. No, I agree. So, I mean, I think the question is how much. Uh, but if it is, if it, Machado, I wouldn't go near. I just wouldn't. Um, Harper, I got, I got to, I got to, I got to kick the tires and uh, and see what the deal is. What, what what can we get him for? I still think neither one of them. They're both low on my list of priorities from the Yankees. Yankees, they don't need Didi Gregorius to come right back. They have plenty of firepower. I don't want to hear this, what if somebody gets hurt? Somebody always gets hurt, and somebody may not get hurt. So right. you can't you can't acquire a $30 million a year player based on the fact you think somebody's going to get, get disabled. Yeah, um, if I'm the Yankees, look, I, I, I still look at the Yankees and say, you don't have pitchers that go deep enough into games successfully. You just don't have enough starting pitching. I understand the allure, well, not the allure, I understand the allegiance to CC Sabathia. I kind of understand it, but... I think I, I like I like the idea because I think he's a guy that throughout the course of the year he's going to be every every rotation needs an innings eater. You, you okay, just, you just need it, right? Okay, and, and, I, and I think they signed him back because there's a, there's a level of familiarity. They know he can throw you a good game once in a while, yep. and he'll eat innings for you. Th- that's that's a an argument that can't be assailed. Yeah. But you, at some point, at some point, you're going to have the guy, if you keep going to the well with guys who are late 30s, broken down a lot, you know, a lot of injuries, a lot of nicks and knocks that he's had, um, tons of mileage on that arm and big body, never in great shape. At some point, you know, you junk the car. It's it's game over. So you hope, you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit. If I could presume... uh, that your 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 fact uh, pattern is going to be what's going to happen, then yeah, it's it's worth the whatever million they gave him fl- to bring a, him back. It was a flyer. right, absolutely. Because you know one thing about CC Sabathia, CC Sabathia is going to take the ball and he's going to try to give you everything he's got. Oh yeah, he is not backing down. He's mm-hmm. he's really a pro. You know he he he's going to do that. So we'll take, but that doesn't solve anything because that all that does is give you a guy you had last year. This so there's two, you need more. There's two problems I see here. If you want to go out and you want to spend all your money on, on free agent pitching, guys like Corbin or, or trade for Paxton or trade for Kluber, that's all well and good. What is Aaron Boone going to do with them, though? Is he going to let them throw five innings? <laughs> so he's, so, I, I, so I was thinking about this before, right? So uh, we'll switch gears to the Mets real quick, right? One of the first things the Mets should do is they have four great starting pitchers. Why are they not running those guys into the ground? I have no idea. <laughs> I hate to be the bad guy. But to get that level of production at their level of salary, you should really be running those guys into the ground. And then after a few years, whoever's left standing, you can pay that guy. And the rest of them, you can let the Brewers or the Kansas City Royals pay them. Think about it this way from an analytical standpoint, right? So here's my analytics lesson for the day. You you extrapolate a week's worth of games. So you get seven games, nine innings a game. That's 63 innings a week. I'm still still doing that, man. Hold on. Carry to one. Yes, you're right. Go ahead. So... If you only allow the strength of your team, your, your starting pitching, to pitch five innings a game, that's roughly 55% of the time. You're only putting your best team on the field 55 So you're flipping a coin 
to win these games. If you take your starting pitching, who's now the strength of your team, and you let them throw seven innings, you now have your best team on the field 80% of the time. Yes, I, you're absolutely right. There's no, your math is, is right on, except here's what their response to you would be, um, which I think is a fallacy because uh, I think it's bad science. Well, actually, it's not true because the third time around, the guy who was the best, one of the best players on the field now isn't one of the best players on the field. The guy who we can bring in from the bullpen <laughs> becomes, this is exactly how they would answer you. Now he be, he's, the reason why they take Jacob DeGrom out in the sixth inning with one out is because they don't want him going through. Now this is a guy who has an epic season, right? right? But yet they don't, if he's that epic, if he's the fastest car on, you know, in the race, why aren't you allowing him to finish the race? I, I, I they are saying that the guy when they bring in Jeremy Blevins to face instead of letting Jacob Degrom, who's had one of the greatest seasons in Met history, that he's a better alternative. This is what the analytics will tell you than letting Jacob Degrom go a third time through the batting order. Yeah, but you're now you're now leaving the game in the hands of the second to, or potentially third tier of your team. That they wouldn't say it's a third tier. Uh, I mean, because the, the fact the, the I believe the great myth of baseball. I was talking to a friend of mine, a really good baseball guy today, for a couple of hours. The great myth of baseball is that the bullpens are so great. That's why hitting is so hard. I think the bullpens. I think the playoffs proved the bullpens are terrible. I think they're worse than ever. The bullpens are horrendous, horrendous. There's the, no, you can't, the ninety Yankees, those that dynasty used to get into the bullpens. That was their thing. The soft underbelly. Now the Yankees had a great bullpen, but everybody else, you can't tell me with all the teams that are terrible in baseball that these bullpens are so great. I'm so, I don't care how hard they throw, they stink. And, and here's what happens. When the games are the most important, what do these teams do to take the starters and put them in the bullpen? There's not enough, there's not enough good relievers in baseball to, 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 I agree. to be put on teams to, to, to sustain this model. I agree, they yet, yet they contend that the statistics would tell you that we're better off with Jeremy Blevins than we are with Jacob DeGrom. And my philosophy is this, and I said this about Joe Torre in 2001. Roger Clemens will always be a better pitcher than Mariano Rivera. I don't care. I'm sorry. I know. Oh, that's a hot take. I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry. Roger Clemens is one of the five or ten greatest pitchers ever. 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 When he's got it going, I don't care who you're bringing out of that bullpen. Nobody's better than Roger Clemens in that moment. Nobody's better than Nolan Ryan. I don't care if you got Daryl Knowles, Raleigh Fingers, Bruce Suter. The un Because here's the other thing. He's a known and you know what Nolan Ryan's doing. You right. know what Greg Maddox is doing. I don't care who's in the bullpen. You don't know what he's. You can't tell me you know what that guy out of the bullpen is going no to do. Yet, no yet, what do they do? As if by rote. You don't really have to manage anymore. You got the only time you really have to manage is if you if your your pitcher walks the first nine guys. You're set, you know, set a, you should set an alarm <laughs> clock for the fifth inning. Right. right. So oh dang. Okay. So let's start getting the arms. Exactly. Your yeah. your manager. Really doesn't have to show up until the fifth or sixth inning. Fifth or sixth inning. No, I agree with there's you. There's nothing to do. They don't. It's not like they're playing hit and run. They don't want to steal bases anymore. So he really just sits there. He looks at the folder, and as long as the roof doesn't cave in, you know, you don't give up six runs in the first two innings. He knows exactly what's going to happen every step of the way. It's uh, to me. It's just. It's just too. Fl- it's so if I'm the Yankees, it's all about starting pitching. I'm sorry. I, I need guys to get me deep into games. Right. I need to. I want. I want these guys to push. I want these guys to. Give allow my bullpen as much uh, 
rest and latitude as humanly possible. Whenever I don't have to use my bullpen, I'm not going to. So at the end of the year, if I have to tax my bullpen because I got to make a pennant run, a run for the division. You guys are fresh and ready. My to guys are fresh and ready. I don't have to worry about the fact that I've overused them or you, you, the other from thing, April to September. The other thing, too, is you, you, you won't be punting games during the week anymore now. Right. What, so let's say if you have a fresh bullpen and your starting pitcher goes out there and he starts getting hammered in the fourth inning, it's 4 nothing, And now you have to go to the mop-up guy. And then before you close your eyes, it's 10 nothing. But what if you still have some of your, your chips in the bullpen fresh? You bring them in in the fourth inning. Now it's the sixth inning. It's a 4-2 game. You're not punting anymore. I think some of these guys punt these games because they just don't have, you know. I agree. I agree. You know, you, it's like collateral damage. You know, you're, you're sending in the troops. You know, you're only going to come back you, with yeah, a, a certain do. percentage. I, so I, here's the, I've never seen more position players coming in mop-up games Absolutely. than I have in the last year. I agree. I agree. I agree. Great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, it's Thanksgiving. Uh, here we are. Gotham Podcast Studio. Tell us again. Where can we find Espo? Espo, you got to be a regular, man. you got to come back. You might have to sign a contract. At Espo4710 on Twitter.com. Let me tell you something. you got to follow him. I follow him. Uh, really good stuff. Uh, this is the kind of dialogue that you could see on Twitter. Some enlightened conversation. One of the smartest guys I know. Uh, so it's Thanksgiving. What are you thankful for? I, it's an easy answer. My, my family, all my girls. My wife, it's my wife included, though. <laughs> There's a little caveat. Good catch there. Yeah, good yeah, catch no, no, there. That's good the, catch. My girls, they... Uh, they're everything to me. They really are. And you know, if it's funny, if there was ever anybody who probably should have been raising boys, it was me. And I'm Ain't blessed. That the truth. And I'm blessed with two beautiful girls. And I'm having a blast. I love it. I'm very thankful for that. And I love and I love you guys. You know, I hope you listen. Sweetheart. He's a sweetheart. Big guy, but he's a sweetheart. Always was. Great player. Great friend. Great to have him here. I want to wish everyone a Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for everyone in my family all my friends, and I'm thankful for having enough to eat because I know that there are people in the world who don't, and I'm thankful for, of course, uh, knock on wood, uh, everything that we uh, are able to do here in a free country. It's really a wonderful, wonderful place to be. Um, and I'm thankful for the people here at Gotham Podcast Studio are so good to us. Mike, you're a great engineer. You guys He's do a great best. job. Yeah, they really do. He really is. Mike, I've said several times here. Yeah, these guys Mike are great. is the man. Mike is the man. Um, we are going to, uh, for all the good folks here at The Conversation, uh, I want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to see you uh, next week. And Espo will be back. Uh, super show, man. Really great stuff. I love you. You know that. Thanks, um, bud. Not a lot of fun, man. And you, we are going to have... Uh, Two geniuses, Loretta Lynn and Jack White, take you out. You had a chance, man. Get this album. This is so, so good. And to my mom and dad, I love you.
Thanks for listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at TommyWeberBball or Instagram at TommyWeberBaseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com. Um...